Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we spotlight Annie Cordero, Puerto Rican singer and songwriter, about her new album, El Machete, as well as her activism on the island. We hear about the bohemian life of the Mission District in San Francisco in the 1970s. We also discuss how the San Francisco Symphony and others are celebrating Dia de los Muertos, along with remembering musicians and other cultural figures who have passed away. Dia de los Muertos gives us a chance to think about those who have passed in attempts to enter the United States, as well as while in detention centers in this country. Artists, poets, and musicians will be part of events all over the Bay Area honoring this tradition and we'll bring you more on this on tonight's program. La Raza Chronicles is produced by Nina Serrano, Julieta Kuznir, and myself, Brenda Yescas. Stay tuned. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. The following segment is from a recent conversation with the legendary bebop poet Q.R. Han Jr. Q.R. reads his poems and comments on the bohemian life of San Francisco's Mission District in the 1970s. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to read a poem that somehow uh, just the words become more relevant. And now it's probably about 30 years old, 35 years old. It's called Our Hemisphere. Afro-Carib, Latin, hillbillies, Semitic, Hamitic, semi-Dravidian natives who might have come from India and sure enough be in the Indies here. Those carrying glyphics to the new world whose old dwellers take to the hills still and teach us to worship their black and brown and golden and peach pink urban populist, left-winged, anarchistic, universal, quaqua-versal, color-coded, god-headed, new world peoples of every shade there is and we're making more every day. A class containing classes, the X's and Y's of manifesting humanities becoming the music of the world, containing all, excluding none. Let the Klan and the Nazis go back. We home here now. I love that. It is so relevant. It could have been, you could have written this last night. That it's more true now than it was then. It really describes both the continents. Right. Pole to pole and ocean to ocean. Through every border. Yeah, that's about the Americas, of which we are one part. And that poem was inspired by your cafe life. Yeah, well, the, 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 mission, the mission life and the, at that time. I go from work to the Café Babar, which is where I live, where I work, where I hang out, basically, are almost within 10 minutes of each other, at most. 
So you're immersed in your community. Well, yeah, and that community was a lot of different people who were doing a lot of different things. I know some politically, culturally, lots of musicians hung out there, lots of painters hung out there, lots of people who were teachers, students, and then starting to bring in some of the members of the Latin community because there's movement from the Café Babar to the Café Boheme down on 24th Street, which was into the, the Latin cultural scene in the same way that uh, the Babar was about any and everybody who fell in there. But it wasn't a Spanish language uh, concentrated place. Well, the Café Bohème, by the late 70s, early 80s, became a magnet for the new immigrant intellectuals and artists that hung oh, out there. Yeah, awesome. Do you have some of your more recent work? Okay, a story poem. This is a story poem. Uh, Alejandro uh, recorded me doing this. Alejandro Murguia, who was the first Chicano Poet Laureate of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Some people have enough problems. He sits there wringing his hands so tightly at times they pale at the knuckle joints where fingers meet light brown hams. It says here, he beat up on his wife and kids before he was blindsided by a local economic enterprise one dark night in streets real bad of the Mission District. Now, did he? He was the kind of hard-working man who might consider it perfectly all right to kick a little ass at home after all they were his. Didn't he feed them, provide them with a roof overhead, color television, new car he polished to a metallic sheen every Saturday afternoon, and hadn't he for years, drunk and sober. In broken English, and the kind of Spanish I am told only the well-educated speak like that in Peru, he rants about the negros, cubanos, mulatas, who did it to him, left him in those streets with epileptoid visions seized, convulsing in San Francisco, General Hospital, emergency coming in and out of painful fogs, losing a piece of his mind with each shudder. Now, trying to hold on to his common sense, he touches the new metal plate in his head, first with one hand, then the other. They say he just found it last week. He used to carry his own weight in sacks, loading and unloading trucks with a green card in his back pocket before the union would let him apprentice, prove he could hammer, saw, measure to an exacting millimeter, fit 
perfectly angled wood against wood with these great hands. Now he forgets what he meant in the middle of a sentence, ends muddled thought with a smile, with a shrug. I am told he alludes to embarrassment in Spanish, which I don't understand. He thinks he must appear nice for us. He lists to the left in a slow lopsided shuffle after two years in a wheelchair. The muscles have atrophied, the ones that still could receive, as he tries to remember accurate messages within, bring back to life his shattered central nervous system, fine physical intelligence on a cane the rest of his life. He had to sell the car a long time ago. This part is unclear to me in any language. At home, he thinks, his wife thinks, he should jump out of the window she gazes out of all the time. Is she dreaming of what, he thinks, the cholos and their street action? Sometimes he thinks any one of them, one or two or more, could have been the ones he never saw that night who cracked his skull, opened to fill their own pockets. He does not like how she looks at them. His papers say he curses at her, threatens because of what he thinks she is thinking. He says he gazes at her out of tears he is too slow to hide. He thinks at home they overload him with dilantin. He can never remember the right time and amount and washes down with endless cans of Rainier ale. He thinks his kids make fun of him, miming his own clumsy gestures, fake tremors all over, taunting. He thinks they feel safe if they keep him slowly. I wonder if it is true. He says his family waits at the front door of their flat for the tribe of social workers who tend to the needs of himself and family through circulating paper that is always late. They can go down three flights to the mailbox faster than he and only bring what they want to him. He knows they whisper to these clerks. He is drunk and paranoid and dangerous, and he should live somewhere else and soon. I believe it when he says he dreams nightly. He's a little boy in the hills of Peru climbing to get a look at Lima just the other side of a rise he can never quite reach. Tremendous poem. It's kind of constructed out of a few different 
people with similar or kinds of experience. And it uh, brings up uh, some of the socioeconomic problems there. Uh, may, I'm talking about the mission district. That still continue today. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. And today, the new gentrification is making for yet another problem. Yeah, and this is before yeah. real gentrification. You just heard Q.R. Hand Jr. reading his poems and discussing the cafe life of the Mission District in the 1970s. Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On today's program, we're going to focus on a really important time of the year. The beginning of November is Dia de los Muertos, Dia de Muertos. And this is a time that is important in a lot of cultures, not just Mexican cultures, but it's a time to look back and honor all the people that are still part of our lives and we remember but that are no longer physically with us. So I'm Julieta Kuznit. I have in the studio with me my sister in radio, Brenda Iescas, and we're going to be tag-teaming this interview where we get to speak to two important people who are making this happen here locally. I have here in the studio with us Elizabeth Dreesen, who is part of the San Francisco Symphony that has decided to honor this day, and it's been part of an ongoing tradition it's had. And we also have visual artist and poet and community artist Adrian Arias, who is with us, who is participating as a community artist in this event and is also part of several other Dia de los Muertos events. Thank you so much, Adrian, for being here with us. Gracias. Thank you. So, Elizabeth, why don't you start us off by telling us about the symphony's relationship to Dia de los Muertos or Dia de Muertos, because it's not the first year that you all have decided to really make this a 
larger-than-life event incorporating a lot of different mediums. Right. So this is uh, the 12th annual Dia de los Muertos community concert that the San Francisco Symphony is putting on. This year's is led by conductor Giacomo Bairos on Saturday, November 2nd at 2 p.m. The concert features music by Gabriela Elena Frank, Silvestre Revuetas, and Ernesto Lacuna, plus musical ensemble Monsieur Perrine, and they've won a Latin Grammy Award for Best New Artist in 2015. And they join the San Francisco Symphony for performances of their original compositions. The Dia de los Muertos concert also features local artists, community groups, and Latin American cultural partners that join the San Francisco Symphony to celebrate the Dia de los Muertos tradition through lobby art installations beginning October. 16th. And beginning at 1 p.m. on November 2nd, guests can enjoy art and activities in the colorfully decorated Davie Symphony Hall lobbies. Attendees will be greeted by Catrinas y Catrinas, the iconic image of Dia de los Muertos celebrations in colorful dresses inspired by the film Coco, presented by Casa Circulo Cultural of Redwood City. Guests can participate in face painting coordinated by Angelica Guerrero and a Coco guitar photo booth. The Mexican Museum will set up children's activities, including making paper skulls, Dia de los Muertos bookmarks, paper flower headbands, and cocoa paper guitars on the second tier. Art installations and altars built by local artists honor the living and the deceased. Curated by Marta Rodriguez Salazar, this year's installations feature works by artists including Adrian Arias, Casa Circulo Cultural, Fernando Escartis, Ana Lisa Escobedo, Veronica Felix, and a traditional ofrenda presented by the Mexican Museum in collaboration with the General Consulate of Mexico in San Francisco. Great. And Adrian, can you speak to us? You're a visual artist and poet in the Bay Area. Can you speak to us about your contribution to this Dia de los Muertos event? Yes. In, in this time, I'm creating an altar dedicated to Joao Gilberto. He passed away uh, past July. And why Gilberto is because his music, the bossa nova that he creates with uh, uh, Tom Jobin and Vinicius de Moraes, that was all the time in my childhood. Uh, that was the music that listening by my parents when I was a little kid. And it's a very special um, tribute that I need to create to this incredible man. And this will be a big, huge guitar transforming in a tree and with some similarities of birds and branches and leaves. And this is the third time that I'm collaborating with the San Francisco Symphony. I remember a few years ago, I did one installation for Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I think in 2012, one for Aaron Copland for the El Salon Mexico. And I know you're involved in other Dia de los Muertos event coming up in the Bay Area. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And one that you're also, your your daughter's involved in, right? Yes. I have a collaboration in Somart with a visual poet Mara Hernandez and with my daughter, Anaís Azul. She's a music composer and singer songwriter, and she composed a piece dedicated to more than 400 homeless dead in San Francisco in the last three years. And visually, Mara and I, we create a series of body, body papers floating on the space. You go 
into the summer place, you can see the bodies floating on the space with light. And it's dedicated to these almost invisible souls and bodies that are the homeless. Uh, in this, that is one of the richest places in the U.S., like in San Francisco, in, in our research, we have like one billionaire for almost 10,000 people and one homeless for almost 11,000 people. And it's really incredible, the great difference and how they are invisible in this city of richness. No? So that's a really powerful way that you are sharing with our listeners that oftentimes when people think of Dia de los Muertos, they just think of the really concrete people, their abuelitas, their abuelitos, their tias, their tios, the people who have passed that they can think of and remember. But really, Dia de los Muertos has taken on a whole other meaning, you know, for most of us, which it's an opportunity to mourn not just people and individuals, but also values and also um, the state of the world, climate change, you know, uh, the contamination happening around the world. So it seems like you've really taken this on and you have been able to illustrate this in your art and make those connections, Adrian. Um, tell us about other Dia de los Muertos ex exhibits and opportunities that people can maybe see this other way of understanding death. Yeah, well, uh, Julieta, I, I'm always, every year I create an altar for my parents in my home. Sometimes I, I go around the city with the, in November 2nd with an image of my parents uh, in front of me honoring their presence and dancing and eating their favorite food, drinking their favorite beverages, they still, this, that kind of tradition still in me because I learned it when I came here 20 years ago. But also this opportunity that when I met René Yanez like 20 years ago and he explained me how important it is to transform Day of the Dead not only in the traditional but in the contemporary vision that artists could create. I really opened my eyes about this. And the other altar that I'm having is at the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts. And it's dedicated to Oscar and Valeria. They are father and daughter that they were dead trying to cross the border through uh, the river. Uh, you know the story. And it's a tragic story about a family uh, thinking in a better future and dying in the intent. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the types of altars that people can not only see, but also experience because you, like many other artists, are a multimedia artist that you often incorporate words and images and even sometimes movement and sound into your type of art. So can you tell us when people go to the SF Symphony event, they'll see a giant guitar and what else? Walk them through. What are other things that they'll possibly see? Well, in front of the guitar will be a table and a book and people can write all memories that bring the Joao Gilberto music, compositions, the bossa nova. I think 
we we are very influenced with his music and it's a good opportunity for audience to express the love for the Bossa Nova and Joao Gilberto compositions. Elizabeth, so the San Francisco Symphony has really decided to take some time to open this up and make it a more interactive and engaging and community-focused event, especially on the actual Dia de los Muertos on the 2nd. So tell us about, I know that Coco will be screening at different times. Tell us a little bit about what people can ex- be a part of if they come that day. Yes, so the in addition to the 2 p.m. concert on November 2nd, the San Francisco Symphony also presents two screenings of Disney and Pixar's Coco, November 1st and 2nd at Davie Symphony Hall at 7.30 p.m. Before the Dia de los Muertos concert on November 2nd, there will be um, family-friendly lobby activities and immersive lobby art. Beginning at 1 p.m. on November 2nd, guests can enjoy art and activities, and they will be greeted by Katrinas y Katrinas, presented by Casa Circulo Cultural of Redwood City, and they are performing with the San Francisco Symphony for the 10th time this year. And guests can also participate in face painting and a Coco guitar photo booth. The Mexican Museum is also setting up some children's activities, including making paper skull masks, Dia de los Muertos bookmarks, paper flower headbands, and Coco paper guitars. And renowned San Francisco musicians La Familia Peña Govea will perform Latin American festive music on the first tier. And Bay Area artist Irma Ortiz will demonstrate her process of creating decorated sugar skulls in an interactive exhibit. And bilingual docents will be stationed at each altar and installation. And as far as the art installations, these have been curated this year by uh, Marta Rodriguez Salazar. And this year's art installations feature works by Casa Circulo Cultural, Fernando Escartiz, Ana Lisa Escobedo, Veronica Felix, a traditional ofrenda presented by the Mexican Museum, and of course, Adrian Arias's installation as well. And guests are invited to bring objects, photos, and offerings to contribute to the community altars. Each altar will be interactive in its own way. So that's a lot happening, and it's really around the corner. So it focuses on the first and the second, which yep. is November 1st and 2nd. Dia de los Muertos is the second, and it's going to be a whole day long thing. So people can choose how much they want to participate. How can people actually purchase tickets and find out more about these offerings? offerings through the San Francisco Symphony. Sure. So tickets can be purchased on the San Francisco Symphony's website at, at sfsymphony.org slash dia. And uh, tickets can also be purchased by calling the Volunteer Council at 415-503-5500. Adrian Arias, your art and your in altars will be part of several different Dia de los Muertos events this season. Can you tell us about how people can actually find out the details, when they're open, where they'll be, what website should they go to to find out more, or what organizational site should they go to? So one you mentioned was the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts, so the, the MACLA, that's a that's a sec- that's in the Mission District um, between 25th and 26th, I believe, or uh, on Mission Street. Um, so that's one place that people can go to find out more. Where else can they go? Yeah, well, for the Mission Cultural Center, uh, I think the best way is go to the website that is missionculturalcenter.org. Uh, all programming is there. Also, I forget to tell you that I will be performing on November 2nd at 9.30 with Rupa, the singer-songwriter. Uh, and this is like a visual poem uh, dedicated to father and daughter uh, dying crossing the river. 
The other place is Somarts, South of Market Art. And I think also the website is somarts.org. And it's open every day, but in different times. You need to check the website. And how can people stay connected to your poetry? Because along with, you're talking a lot about your visual work, but you're also a poet. So how can people connect to your poetry? Well, I publish one poem every day in my Facebook page and Instagram page. It's the Poema del Dia, Poem of the Day. Lately, like uh, in the past 150 days, I start creating visual poems. More than the regular words, I using also shapes and cutting the paper, using the paper in different ways. And you can go to, you can look for me at uh, Adrian Arias SF or Adrian Arias Peru and got my poetry. Also in my website, it's adrianarias.com. This has been Julieta Cosnid and Brenda Yescas for La Rosa Chronicles. We have been speaking with Elizabeth and Adrián, who are both participating in this really wonderful SF Symphony Dia de los Muertos celebration. Elizabeth, one more time, can you give us the website information for people to find out more? You can purchase tickets on the Symphony's website at sfsymphony.org slash dia. Great. So thank you both so much for being here with us. We're really thankful that we got to hear more about these exciting events that are around the corner. Thank you, Julieta. Gracias. Thank you.
momia Suele bailar, salir a cantar Mueve la cadera con la momia Vamos, vamos, vámonos Abre la tumba y suéltela Baila entre la noche Gozan los espíritus Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and I have in the studio with me Annie Cordero, musician and activist, and she'll be talking about her new album, El Machete, which came out this past month. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me about your background. How did you get started songwriting and singing? I started as a drummer. I always wanted to be a drummer since I was a very little girl as long as I can remember. And finally, when I was uh, 14, I saved up babysitting money and bought myself a drum set. And so then I started being in bands um, and never stopped. Uh, but my first band was signed to in the, in the mid-90s to a subsidiary of Sony. And we toured all over, but never really hit success. Um, but when that band broke up, I was devastated and didn't know what to do with my life, really, because all of a sudden I didn't have a creative outlet. And, you know, I'd spent five years touring and I was sort of like, oh, and then what? Now what? Um, so I didn't like that feeling. And so I decided that I didn't I wanted to learn to. Uh, play guitar and write my own songs so that I could be in charge of my own creative output because I really need that um, creative aspect to my life to feel balanced as a human. So that's what I did. I moved out to Tucson, Arizona and gave myself sort of a sabbatical where I didn't have to work. I did a tour, saved up the money with a different band for hire and then moved to Arizona and just figured out how to play guitar and made it like a baby album with a bunch of awesome musicians in Tucson. And is your family very musical? My family is musical. They don't do it professionally. Uh, but my parents were, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, and my parents um, were in the uh, Tuna in, in the University of Puerto, Rican, Puerto Rico, which is like a traditional, I think there's tunas in every Latin American country. I don't know if they call it that everywhere, but, um, you know, they wear the black capes and the, um, with colorful ribbons. I've seen them in Mexico. They sing traditional uh, songs from, like, Spain and beyond in each one with its own flavor depending on the location. But that, so they grew up with that kind of uh, background, and we were all encouraged to play instruments um, growing up, so, and there's always, like, at our parties and stuff, you know, typical um, music was part of it. And that's, like, what happens in any Latino family, right? It's like we're always dancing and singing any kind of music, basically. For sure. It's part of the celebration of any of any event. So it's one of the things that makes it uh, really enjoyable for me. And for those that have listened to your previous albums, um, your songs are mostly very politically focused. So 
What persons or events have influenced your latest album? Well, first I would say that I write a lot of love songs, <laughs> too. But um, it just happens that I don't shy away from the political songs. But yeah, no, I can't help but be impacted by... my Music is my way of, of dealing with the events around me and what's happening in my society, in my family, in my culture, in, you know, in the environment. And so it's my filter for processing all of those events and feelings. And so in the last couple of years, you know, I put this record out on September 20th, which is the anniversary of Hurricane Maria hitting Puerto Rico, and the island was so devastated. And it caused a really interesting swirl of emotions for me to be in the diaspora, unable to connect with my family. You know, it was a couple of weeks before we really knew if everyone was okay. They are okay, by the way. Um, and it was, and it stirred in me so many like rematriation kind of feelings where I want to move back to the island and. Um, I've gotten more involved in going there more regularly. I've always gone at least once a year, but I've upped that lately to two or three times a year. So watching the devastation of Hurricane Maria, you know, it's not the first time that I've written a song about corruption, uh, but I felt the need to write another song about corruption. And uh, so Pan Pan is about the mismanagement of funds and, uh, you know, Puerto Rico was already in a financial crisis before the hurricane, and it sort of just added insult to injury. Um, and then there's also the problem of femicide uh, worldwide, but especially in, you know, in Puerto Rico, there's like, and also in Mexico, I have a lot of friends who live in Mexico. It's like, just, can we just live, please? Can we just let us live and let us be free and just, hang out with our friends and walk down the street and not be killed. Um, so Papa Ver Vivir is like a feminist anthem. And it's not that I set out to think like, I'm going to write a feminist anthem. It's like, ah, I have these feelings that I'm just trapped and I can't do everything that I want to do. And this is unacceptable and let's change it. And so, through writing the song, it sort of makes me feel better. And then singing that song with my all my like powerful lady friends makes me feel better, makes them feel better, and we feel like hyped up to you know do what we need to do to make sure that we have full rights. It's like that. That's like how I come to writing about political stuff. Things impact me and the ones that I love, and then I write about it. Also, speaking of Puerto Rico, I want to talk a little bit about your work that you do with an organization you co-founded called Prima, uh, Puerto Rico Independent Musicians and Artists. Uh, tell me how that work's going and uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about that. It's going well. Um, we um, started off as an organization immediately after Hurricane uh, Maria with a focus on helping musicians and artists in the island because it was like a subgroup that nobody was really giving a hand to. Um, and as we know, musicians live really close to the edge just on a good day. So uh, the hurricane really wiped out the gear and the studios and the gigs for all the bands, so many bands and musicians that 
um, we really felt that our most direct way to provide support was musicians supporting musicians. So my friends in Buscabulla and I co-founded uh, Prima Fund. Uh, you can check it out at primafund.org. And we started collecting and fundraising money to send directly to artists on the island as emergency funds, no strings attached, get whatever you need. And so we um, did that for about six months. And then we had a uh, conference, uh, convocatorio. I don't know what the word is for that, but it's like an assembly, like a public assembly. Um in San Juan in March, after the, the March after the hurricane, and asked the musicians, okay, now that we're no longer in the full emergency, we're more like in the new normal, what do you need now? And what the overarching message was that we need more support and visibility outside of the island because it's so expensive to, to tour outside of the island and um, making... Uh, it's possible to create new networks of fan bases and business connections and all those things. So we've now pivoted our attention to uh, bringing bands from the island to showcase in a yearly showcase during the Latin Alternative Music Conference, which happens here in New York every July. Um, and it's also when, at the same time as the Afro-Latino Fest. So it's a really great moment where media from all over the world is here covering uh, what's happening in, in Latin music. And we make it a free event so that they can reach the most amount of people. And we just had our second annual one in July, and it's wonderful. And now we'll be um, starting to fundraise so that we can keep it going. Well, congratulations on that work. It's so important to have musicians and artists know that there's people supporting them in that way. I really what that was what was really surprising. You know, our our micro grants were not life changing in in the financial sense. Uh, I mean, they helped for sure. They were, but they were micro grants. They were five hundred dollars each, um, and that was to facilitate getting the money to the artists quickly, and also because we didn't have the infrastructure to be able to handle needing to 1099 everyone for something over $600, which is like a technicality. Um, it just lay, added an administrative layer. But so much of what we heard from the p- recipients of the band was, okay, sure, they bought food and they bought, paid their cell phone and they were able to pay their rent, and that's great. But what really meant a lot is that there's a whole diaspora out here that cares about what happens in the island and cares about the music that's being created there. And that has been a beautiful thing to see because we're building community between diaspora and the island. And, you know, artists like Andrea Cruz is embarking on her second release and just had a beautiful show with a bunch of guests and, um, like, Emma and I kicking butt and, like, so many of the bands that we've been supporting over the last couple of years and being a resource to you see them. They're, they're doing the work and they're, they're out there and it's great. And it's really like, uh, it, it was like, como les dio impulso. Um, it really encouraged them. 
Thank you for that. I want to switch gears a little bit and now start talking a little bit about you and your new album. What aspects of your new album and Machete are different from your previous projects? It sounds different. Um, this is my first time working with a beat maker. Um, so it has a really modern production versus the older albums had a more indie rock approach of, you know, you go in, you do your basic tracks, and then you mix, um, you know. And this is more like layering and adding samples and I guess a more modern hip-hop style production. Uh, it's been totally interesting and challenging and um, satisfying. And I don't know if I'll ever go back to the old way. It's really fun. It's like now I listen to the radio. I'm like, oh, that's how they got that sound. So that's um, thanks to Pablo San Martin, who is the producer of this record. But also, emotionally, I've done a lot of personal growth in the last couple of years, and I feel like I have more channels of emotion than I used to have. But I feel like I used to be, like, sad, happy, occasionally angry. Now I have, like, more subtle sections of the dial, and... I'm not backing away from those emotions anymore. I'm not shy of them anymore. So it's been interesting to see that part of my personal development come out in the song. Speaking of your songs, I want to have the listeners listen to a couple of your songs from your new album. One of them is called Pan Pan, and the other one's called Pa Poder Vivir. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those two songs? Sure. Uh, Pan Pan... Um, the full title is Pan Pan Sin Mantequilla, which is like a 1950s expression that your grandparents would say to you if you're misbehaving. Te voy a dar pan pan sin mantequilla, and it means like you're going to get a spanking. And so it's a little playful, but really what I'm saying is I'm speaking to uh, the corrupt um, corporations and politicians that are taking advantage of what belongs to the people and not to them and saying enough if you don't stop you're going to get pan pan sin mantequilla and this song was really fun to record because uh, it's featuring Emina from Puerto Rico as my backing band and they're one of my favorite bands coming out of PR right now I hear that it's highly addictive so I hope you enjoy it Que le pertenece al pueblo, que aquí. 
Poder Vivir is super emotional song for me because it's about feeling uh, like the walls of a culture are not wide enough for you to live freely. And so, for example, when I was growing up, I would spend my summers in my uh, grandmother's house in a neighborhood called Atorre in Puerto Rico. And her house was directly across the street was a beautiful park with swing sets and a soccer field and all these things. And yet I spent my entire summer double padlocked inside the house. Wasn't even allowed to get near the windows because my grandmother was so afraid that something would happen. And, you know, part of the fear was real because it was the 80s and it wasn't the best neighborhood. Um, but part of it was also um, this constant um, trying, in trying to keep women safe, I, we feel suffocated. So I feel suffocated. I want to be able to do everything I want to do, and I don't want to have to worry that somebody might harm me because of, of what I want to do. I want to play in rock bands. I want to tour the world. I want to not spend a small fortune on taxis on the way home if it's past midnight. You know, just like really obvious things. Um, and so Papa de Vivid is talking about through the symbolism of that house and that buffet about tearing down the walls and putting in more windows and building bridges to be able to live freely. Vivir sin miedo, vivir sin miedo, vivir sin miedo. 
so I also want to tell our listeners that you'll be playing here in San Francisco November 7th at SF Jazz Center. Um, yes, I'm super excited. It's been a few years since I've been in San Francisco, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're so excited. So yeah, you'll be here November 7th. That's a Thursday. You'll be playing um, your your new album, I guess, too, right? And That's right. Update the whole new album, plus a few uh, older hits. Great. Well, we're so happy to have you here. Can you tell our listeners uh, where they can find out more information about you and your music? Sure. Uh, they can go to AnnieCordero.net. I'm on also all of the Instagram and uh, Facebook and all that. Um, and I also encourage listeners to check out PrimaFund.org if they're interested in making a donation to help the Puerto Rican independent music community keep thriving. Um, and I want to thank you so much for, for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Annie, and thank you for being uh, here at La Raza Chronicles. I look forward to meeting you in person. <laughs> Feliz noches. Gracias. La Raza Chronicles calendar of Bay Area Cultura, Arte, and Events for the Bay Area. For Saturday, November 2nd and 3rd, San Francisco Symphony celebrates Dia de los Muertos with concert event, lobby art, community activities, and screenings of Disney and Pixar's Coco, featuring works by Gould, Lacuna, Frank, Copeland, and Revueltas, and a performance by Latin Grammy Award-winning band Monsieur Perrinet. Presented in partnership with the San Francisco Arts Commission, the Dia de los Muertos celebration also includes lobby art, pre-concert live music, and activities guided by bilingual docents that immerse the audience in the holiday's rich cultural traditions. All events will be held at the Davies Symphony Hall, located at 201 Vanis Avenue in San Francisco. All events are wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to SF symphony.org. For Friday, November 1st and 2nd, join the Oakland Ballet with Ballet Folklorico Mexico Danza for Luna Mexicana. Luna Mexicana is a dance and music celebration of the iconic Mexican holiday Dia de los Muertos. This family-friendly performance is filled with festive dancing, colorful costumes, and vibrant music. This will all be held at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. For more information on tickets and times, go to ParamountTheater.com. For Saturday, November 2nd, join Discos Escribiendo Historia for a concert on immigrants' rights with band La Cosa Nostra with its original style and traditional Norteño music. This event will be held at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley, and is wheelchair accessible. Starts at 8 p.m. For more information, go to lapeña.org. Also for Saturday, November 2nd, the Unity Council presents the 24th annual Dia de los Muertos celebration in Oakland, featuring Chiquis Rivera, Banda Estrellas de la Bahía, Banda Tierra del Sol, y la dominante Banda El Cerrito. The event will be held in the Fruitvale District in Oakland and starts at 10 a.m. For more information, go to unitycouncil.org. Also for Saturday, November 2nd, Please come with flowers, photos, candles, offerings, and love to the 26th annual Festival of Altares at Potrero del Sol Park, 1369 Potrero Avenue in San Francisco. Starts at 4 p.m. 
and is wheelchair accessible. And for Thursday, November 7th, join Puerto Rican singer, songwriter, and activist Annie Cordero, who will be showcasing her new album and eclectic music stylings at the San Francisco Jazz Center, 201 Franklin Center in San Francisco. The event is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to sfjazz.org. And this has been a calendar of events, cultura y arte for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to a calendar, email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Thank you.